audio. Joining us here on my first concert is Craig Balzer, the executive director of the Monument, formerly the Rushmore Plaza Civic Center. Correct. How um, how is that how is that uh, renaming been going over there? How many people are still calling it? <laughs> The Civic Center. When when um, I'm not accidentally calling it the Civic Center. <laughs> I was going to say internally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we catch ourselves all the time. Yeah. Um, actually, no, it's going uh, pretty good. I think people pretty much accepted that. Of course, it's something that people have to get used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been calling it the Civic Center for decades. Yeah. And uh, it's something people have to get used to. But I wasn't too worried about that. A lot of people were. But I've seen these naming changes going on in other cities. And once you get all your branding out there and and uh, you start getting the music industry and the event industry talking about it, claiming it's monuments on all their advertising, then it, it's a pretty easy switch. Uh, there's, there's a tremendous amount of advertising out on the name The Monument because every event we have over there markets, right? right. So. It's a pretty easy switch in our industry. In another industry, a name change that might be a lot more difficult. Well, you're a you're a South Dakota boy, aren't you, Craig? Yeah, born I and mean, raised. You're yeah. Sioux Falls. Yeah, the wrong side of the state. That yeah, was, no, yeah, we don't ever it's really. All right. you, fi- you fixed it. You made it right. <laughs> so, uh, you, you high school out there? Born? I mean, born and raised here in South Dakota? Yes. Okay. Yes. Excellent. Yep. Yep. I went to Lincoln High School in Sioux Falls. Uh, Graduated from there, went to the University of South Dakota in Vermilion, and graduated from there and went off into show business. So, when you're a kid, when you're growing up in Sioux Falls, was this was this ever in your plan? Was this what you wanted to do when you were when you were growing up? You know, totally accidentally, yes. Um, um, I, I remember this moment in my life. Uh, I just graduated from college. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And my job interviews were, and and I'm not uh, um, speaking against this, but it just wasn't seemingly right for me. My job interviews were at Citibank and State Farm Insurance, and it was not what I had in mind. My degrees were, you know, business oriented and and management oriented, and um, um, I was thinking, wait a minute. Every part-time job I ever had had something to do with selling popcorn, selling tickets, and putting on an event. I mean, I worked at the Sioux Falls Arena. I used to work at uh, uh, Wildwater West, Carts West as a summer job. I used to work in a movie theater. I, everything I did had to do with selling tickets, selling popcorn, and putting on an event. And, and I had loads of part-time jobs um, um, all my life. So, um, yeah, I graduated from college and I went, ding, I need to go into that industry. <laughs> right. And I picked up and I moved to Minneapolis because there was a lot more opportunity mm-hmm. there for that kind of a thing. And uh, that's where that started. So is it, is, it kind of in your, is it kind of in your family background, too? Or your, did you grow up around business-oriented um, parents or other family members? Um, not, not really. Not in this business, sure. anyway. Um, uh, my, my father was uh, 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 an accountant. Okay. Um, and my mother was, um, she worked in hospital administration. Um, so, no, not at all. But they did love events. We grew up kind of poor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, eventually you're going to get to the question of what was your first event, uh, your first concert. And 
We grew up kind of poor. Um, I didn't have tickets to the first concert I went to. You want them on the radio? Nope. <laughs> I didn't have tickets at all. I didn't have tickets at all. I worked it. Oh, perfect. My uh, my whole point in uh, getting a job at the Sioux Falls Arena, and I would literally do anything that they wanted me to do, was because I could never afford to go to events. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, the first event that they had me working was a dog show, uh, picking up poop. Um, and which was it was really that exactly. moment you're like, I, <laughs> I found my calling. <laughs> uh, but the next uh, event was a concert, and I was kind of an usher type of, you know, they used to do pat-downs at the door instead mm-hmm. of mag- magne- uh, magnetometers and stuff like that. So I was kind of that guy. And it was all under the table. They paid you $25 uh, for work in the evening. And um, um, I did that. And uh, then, you know, eventually was working security. And I was one of those guys with the arms crossed at the front of the stage, you know. And I'm just in high school, you know, um, um, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I that I have a lot of fond memories over. Um, my time working those part-time jobs. I even uh, worked some spotlight operation. I would do anything that they wanted me to. Um, and it was such a, a hit and miss part-time job. I mean, they only needed you when they had events that they needed staff for. So um, I, I used to just tell them, I'll do anything. And, and okay, well, we need you in the stagehand group, or hey, we need you in the security group, or we need you in the usher group, or the operations group. But, but I used to work just about anything I could out there because I loved events. That's awesome. That's so cool because uh, our very first interview for this podcast was with Bob Zort, and he said his first concert was at the Sioux Falls Arena. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you went and saw Molly Hatchet, is what he's saying. Molly Hatchet? Yeah, that was it. I, I started there, it, it must have been 1978 when I started working there, and uh, by 79, I was working a lot of events. And um, I, I just remember a string of events, like my first concert, I can't remember which one, it's one of the string of Cheap Trick, April Wine, Ario Speedwagon, Rick Springfield, ZZ Top. I mean, there was just a slaughter of, of they all, you know, in, in a way seemed very similar right. <laughs> kind yeah, of music, sure. you know. And uh, I just remember doing that. There might have been one country show in there or, or two, but we just had a slaughter of them back then. Um, um, but uh, um, I remember uh, I finally, I had another part-time job, but... That part-time job, I would put all that money away, and that was for dating. That was for putting gas in your car mm-hmm. and taking a girl to a movie or whatever, and I finally could afford to take a girl to a concert, and that concert was Sticks Paradise Theater, <laughs> you know, and I have never seen, I had seen a lot of concerts by that time because I was working at the Sioux Falls Arena. I had never seen somebody with a production that because it was very theatrical, mm-hmm, Paradise Theater sure. was, and a lot of lights and a lot of back. And then I compare that to what even the smallest show does today, right? And it's, I mean, it's nothing compared to what's out <laughs> on the road today. Nothing. I think it's interesting that you you said that you had, uh, you know, you 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 had this job to put money away to take a girl out to to go to a show and do fun things. Same reason why a lot of guys pick up a guitar and start playing in a band is to beat girls. There's this whole connection right there. Now it's all making sense to me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you've yep. you've seen you've obviously then Craig seen a lot of changes in this business from when you were first standing in front of the stage there as that security guard mm-hmm. getting paid under the table to like you said these productions that happen now right i mean is it 
is it has it been kind of unbelievable for you in a sense? You know, actually, it was, it's kind of unbelievable the way we did it back then. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, safety was <laughs> safety was not a factor back then. And if you remember, I mean, it, um, you guys are not old enough, but um, uh, a lot of people my age will remember when they went to c- their first concerts, there was no f- chairs on the floor at all. Mm-hmm. The, everything was a, a big pit, right? And I remember the job being security on the front end of the stage was not to necessarily, of course you were there to prevent people from getting on the stage or causing trouble that way or anything like that. But we didn't have much of that. The number one job we really had to do was we stand on our little elevated position over the top of the barricade looking at the people and going, are you okay? Are you okay? Because they're being pushed up against that barricade from the back. And you would see it in their face. They're starting to get a little faint. They're starting to get a little white. And I go, are you doing okay? I don't know. And then, and then, no, I got to get you out of here. And you'd lift them out and you'd, you'd put them on your side of the barricade and you'd hand them to the next security guard and they would take it to the next security and they'd take them to the end and that's where the EMTs were. And I, I'm just amazed that we didn't have a lot more deaths back then and all that. <laughs> sure. I mean, moshing really wasn't a thing or anything like that, but it was just the push of the crowd to going forward. Right. Um, it was really, really dangerous and nobody would really do it that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays you have um, uh, uh, some shows that have uh, open GA floors, but they have some rules on there. Um, even a mosh pit has its own set of rules, um, you know, that that is policed by the fans themselves. Um, there's a lot more attention on safety, both by the fans and by the, the productions and the, the venues now. Uh, back then, it was it was a free for all, and you know, um, I, you know, the whole thing was it was the wild west in that industry back then. I mean, even even into the early '90s, right? Um, it's become so much more corporate now. But I mean, the bands used to never leave their dressing room, right? We used to be mm-hmm. going, "Hey, we got to get ready for the sportsman show the next day." Um, you know, you need to go. Well, hell, you're gonna have to throw us out because that's where the party was. You know, they would bring all their backstage people and everything um, um, uh, to the dress room. It'd be a big party back there after a show. And it was always uh, fun and kind of exciting, but also pain in the butt because we had to get the building ready for the next day. Um, and you know, that's all changed. Um, you know, artists are, are typically going to an after party that they're being paid to sure. attend. Um, there's really nothing unscheduled. Usually when a concert ends, you know, and the lights stay down, the band leaves the stage and the lights stay down, everybody knows there's going to be an encore. So, you know, everybody stomps their feet and then the encore comes. And then after the encore, the lights stay down for about three minutes, four minutes, and then all of a sudden, all the lights come on. So everybody's thinking there might be another encore. Then there's not. The lights come on. Everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. Go home at that point in time. But what they don't know is that that's the band is leaving. The right. the band is on on the bus or or uh, getting in the limo and going to the airport, and they're off the property before the show is even properly ended, um, because they don't deal with any after show rigmarole or anything like that. Well, so. that's one thing I thought was interesting when we got the uh, the early tour of the summit. Yes. That they explained that now uh, on the on the back end of that where the buses are park you guys have installed places for the buses to plug in and kind of amenities that go because they don't they don't even come to the backstage area anymore 
there there are a lot of them just stay on the bus. Yeah, you know, it gets a little bit infuriating um, sometimes because <laughs> you get a, a tour rider, and the tour rider is, I mean, unless you negotiate uh, in advance, you, you you the tour rider is the bible. You gotta you gotta do the tour rider. You gotta uh, so you'll have an artist, and, and and a lot of their like the backup singers or some of the other band members, they'll use their dressing room mm-hmm. and all that. But a lot of times the stars don't. And here you put this huge you know buffet in the star dressing room for them because they requested in the rider and they never even use it you know i mean uh one of the shows that um i I was always like amazed at some artists and their lifestyle right and it doesn't matter who they are could be a country it could be a rock artist it doesn't matter i just amazed at their lifestyle and um my my favorite one and this was back in the late 90s and i was running a building in tampa florida um uh, what is now the Amelie Center. And uh, we would have Jimmy Buffett, because it's Tampa, we'd have him every year. Of and, course. And he would come in by boat, and our arena sat on the water. And he'd come in by boat, and right across the, the, the lane from us was Marriott Hotel, and they had some docking there and all that. And he'd have a slip there, and he'd come, come in off his boat, barefoot, walk across the street, into the arena, right on stage. Somebody would hand him a guitar, and he'd play. And then when the show's over, good night, Tampa. <laughs> and he would walk right back out, right back off the dock onto his boat. That's awesome. And we'd be sitting there going, we, we put all that stuff in your dressing room. You didn't use it, you know. <laughs> but that's how it was, you know. So you've, uh, you've obviously worked in some bigger markets then, too, from Florida to so what 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 brought you back here, Craig, to run this? Well, a uh, couple things. Um, first of all, South Dakota's home to me, mm-hmm. and it was always a dream of mine to live in the Black Hills because oh, I'm sure. kind of an outdoors well, guy. Because you're East River, that's why. Yeah, you just I mean, to... every family vacation we had was coming to the Black <laughs> right. Hills, right? So, um, uh, yeah, that that was part of it. Uh, getting closer to family, I had been away for such a long time. Um, and, you know, parents are getting older and health mm-hmm. issues and that kind of thing. That that felt right. Um, and but I discovered this after the interviews and all that stuff that I, I took a look at it and I thought, you know, I might be able to help. I mean, the place was run really, really well. And everyone, every manager that, you know, comes and runs a facility, and, and this is this is my take on it. The, the other managers in the country will probably disagree with me on this, but, but uh, it's my take on it is, you know, everybody's got a different thing, and you bring you bring your bag of tricks, and you come in, and you make the place better, and you're probably you know good for you know ten, fifteen years, and then another guy needs to come in and put his bag of tricks in there. And so I was looking at uh, what was going on in at the Civic Center, and I did have exposure in other venues and mm-hmm. other markets and all that kind of stuff. And I used to work for a large uh, management company that used to manage facilities like this for cities and that stuff. I worked for them for twenty years, so. I was, I was really connected with uh, 250 facilities. Um, um, I used to open up uh, buildings for them. I used to be involved in opening up new venues for them and that kind of a thing. So I had experience in that. And I took a look at the situation. I said, I have the right bag of tricks for Rapid. I can I can help here. There's sure. some things I can accomplish here. So it really was, and that was kind of important to me. I'm, I'm a little later in my career. Um, I'm not necessarily climbing ladders anymore. Mm-hmm. This was more of an equal, uh, but it was, it was more about quality of life and having some value in my position. And I, I thought I could help here. So, Well, and it was obviously, um, over the past few years, pretty contentious with the new arena. Mm-hmm. I mean, we obviously had... You know, uh, people on both sides. And now that it's here 
and now that it's built and people have got a glimpse of it, do you in your in the people you work with and in your whole department there, do you guys feel that 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 it's kind of shifted a little bit to a, a, a more positive um, experience for people? I mean that that they're you know they're they're um, what am I trying to say here? They're uh, they're they're not as angry about it anymore now that they've had a chance to see what we've done. Yeah, um, I can say that. You know, first of all, we had a, a pretty strong vote, and mm-hmm. I think that helped a lot because there were people who were um, uh, kind of against the idea and saying no um, and voted no, and a lot of that was. Um, you know, uh, they're worried about spending this kind of much money and mm-hmm. it being um, maybe a possible failure or maybe there's other places that money could be spent and that kind of thing. And there's no denying any of that. Um, what what I like um, about um, the debate on that, it's the mayor did uh, like 80 some two and a half hour presentations yeah. that were more of an education class of how these venues and why they're good for cities. I mean, first of all, they're owned by governments, you know, around the country. They're, rarely are they owned by a private industry. And that's because they don't really make money. Mm-hmm. Um, what they do is they create economic impact and, 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 and that kind of a thing. And that's why cities benefit from them or counties or government benefits from them. So um, there was a lot of education on, yeah. <laughs> on, on, on that. And I'm going to tell you, I really I was I, I thought it was a strong vote. Um, there were certainly still people who were anti it, um, and I'm going to tell you, I've, I, I'm sure not all of them, but some of them have taken the time um, when we had an open house and we did tours of the building, and they, now they're seeing it from the inside, not just from the outside, and they start understanding the image, and we start announcing events that are going in. I agree that there are a number of people who've kind of, um, you know what, this might be a good thing. This is sure. looking like a good thing, and I'm going to tell you, it is built right. Um, yeah. It is 100% built right. Um, we wanted to build this. We did not want all the flash. I didn't want like beautiful flooring and gorgeous chandeliers up and down the concourse. I don't want to spend my money on that. We wanted to spend it on making sure it operates really, really well for our clients, the, the, the shows that are renting the space, and also for the audience that are coming in the front door. Um, and uh, for $130 million, I think we got exactly what we were looking for. Um, and, and now it's, it's about, and, and it's really unfortunate that, you know, it was kind of a amazing thing that we were able to complete construction and everything during COVID mm-hmm. and all that. We were yeah. one of the only major construction sites in the entire country that didn't close down and we got it because that would have ended up costing us a lot of money if we had oh, to sure. close down that site. Um, but in the end, you know, um, uh, we're still in a COVID era and, and that has, um, the, the industry and especially the music industry, the show business industry is really trying to uh, find a way to get it going now. And I've got holds all over my calendar, but it's almost like, Hey, we're starting over with the whole business idea of what touring's all about and all that. It's it's kind of changed, and you you see all over the country postponements, cancellations, and we had a couple of them ourselves, um, and. Um, um, you know, it's just kind of back to the Wild West in right. the industry a little bit. But uh, I think that uh, as we go forward, I'm, I'm seeing things starting to gel a little more and and, and connect a little more. Um, and we, we, we're we're going to get some of those big shows. You know, mm-hmm. Rapid City's not a huge market. I can't do one every month. Um, our market's not strong enough to do that. But the ones that used to pass us up on the highway 
um, are now going to stop. And, you know, Morgan Wallen's a good example of right. that. That's a really good example of that show. Yeah, and that's, uh, well, and, and um, you know, do you, uh, hold on, let me pause right there for a second. <laughs> I, had, I had the question and then it slipped right out of my head. Well, I was going to uh, say, too, like, you, you don't just, like, stop. Like, the world doesn't just stop for whatever extended period of time that it did kind of depending where you are in the country and then everything just goes back to normal as it was before that we all kind of especially in the music industry there's going to be a new normal for touring and for promotions and stuff like that and it's there's no way it'll go back to being exactly what it was before the pandemic you know yeah i mean you know it, it seems to me and it depends on where a lot of these artists are in their career um there are some bands that are we need to work. We need mm, to make some money, absolutely. you know. Um, and there were other bands that, hey, we can we can sit back a little bit. We can do some other things and other projects um, right now, and we don't need to be out on the road right now. But it's kind of getting to the point now where, yeah, they all got, a, you know, this is how they make their money now. I mean, you know, that was one thing, and a, a big change in the industry um, when we were talking about over the years, the change in the industry. One of the biggest changes in their industry was uh, downloading music. Mm-hmm. I mean, a huge, huge change in the industry. I, of course, that was a big change in your industry as oh, well. Absolutely. And and, uh, 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 you know, touring shows, and this is this is how I see it, touring shows uh, who used to go on the road and do concerts to promote their album because they made all their money on the album. Now they're dropping a single to m- promote their tour and they got to make all their money on the tour. So that's when you saw ticket prices go way up and everything started changing there. And nothing's changed that more than that. So these music artists are heavily reliant on touring now. Um, that's a big part of their 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 income, and and so they got a tour, and uh, we're starting to see that where even the larger artists are saying, you know what, I'm going to go out in fall of 2022. I'm gonna, right. you know I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to go out, and we're starting to see more and more. In fact, what I'm worried about is if it if it goes the way it's starting to look. We might be oversaturating the country in sure. music all at once. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> and there's just not enough ticket buyers out there for all that. Well, and you had to take all of that into consideration when you were designing and building the summit, too, because I think part of the plan is to make it you, you want to make it as easy and accessible for an artist to come in. You know, you've got f- what, five bays out there for for semis, I believe. Yep. So yep. they can they can all back in and get loaded and unloaded and stay out of everybody's way. Yep. I know that was a big a big deal for you guys, I think. Yes. So uh, what you're alluding to is the uh, fact that um, in order to attract these large shows, I mean, uh, uh, first of all, you have to have the venue that can play their show, that can fit it in there. You also have to have the venue that can unload their trucks quickly, set up a show, do a show, uh, tear down the show, unload the trucks all in one day so they can get to their next stop the next day. Right. right? Um, which, which means we need space for that and we need loading docks for that. And uh, so we, we needed to build all that in. And this is what some people don't, you know, really kind of get. I mean, you know, when, you know, whoever it is, some big artist, you know, it could be, you know, Justin Timberlake, you know, what he's getting in Denver to play in Denver in a 20,000 seat arena in a big market like that, where you have a lot more opportunity to sell a lot more tickets, same price, 
as it is to play him in Rapid City. Mm-hmm. So where is Justin Timberlake making his money? He's making his money in the A markets. That's where he's making his money, in the 20,000-seat arenas. Now, 20,000-seat arena in Rapid City would have been way overkill. Sure. And at 10,000 or 11,000 seats, we can maybe attract a Justin Timberlake. But he's not stopping here to make a buttload of money. Mm-hmm. He's stopping here because... It routes. <laughs> it's routing, right? He's going from Minneapolis to to Denver, and he's got a, a time in between to stop one place, and at least it pays some payroll, at least it pays some bills. And and when you're in that position, you need to make it easy for him. They need to get in and out and make it really easy so they want to stop again next time, or his production team has a different concert, and they want to stop in next time. Um, so the whole idea was make our building easier to work with um, for the shows than other venues that I compete with. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we accomplished that. And uh, um, we've heard from some of the big shows that we've already done. Zach Brown really went out of his way to talk to us about really? how well that the, the building worked out for him and that kind of a thing. Um, and but if you're the Target Center in Minneapolis, and, and, and this is true, their load-in scenario is horrible. <laughs> really? Right? But you're the target center in Minneapolis, you're going to get the show, right? right? So that that's kind of, we have to be a little bit better. We have to be a little bit different that way. So that's why we spent all of our money and making sure it operates really well. Well, and and you'll get you'll get the word of mouth then from those production companies. Zach Brown's people will tell the next one and the next one, and it, hopefully... It, it's a small industry. Right. I mean, it when is. I was on yeah. tour, and by the way, I wasn't on tour... Well, I was on tour for a short time with concerts, but I was on tour. My main gig was a family show. But I mean, all the productions, even my family show production and our, our backstage team... We were connected with comedians and concerts and all that kind of stuff. It's a small industry. And you knew which buildings were hard to work, which ones were good. You knew that. You knew which ones had good food and which ones had terrible food. (laughs) You knew all of that. And um, uh, just being in the industry for a year or two, you've got all that down. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's that's. That's a fact. That's wow. exactly what I was going to say. I mean, there's like 1% of 1% of people that know what it takes for the logistics of a concert to come in and set up like that. And so, yeah, just the pool of not just musicians, but just like industry people is incredibly, incredibly small. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that, when, you know, it takes, I mean, some of our larger shows um, uh, that we've done, even even before we built the summit, um, the stagehand call would be 130 people. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's local people. You mm-hmm. know, working on the show, um, and and uh, you know, with the labor issues today and COVID still out there and all that, that is so tough to meet those requirements oh, now. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, even even like some of our theater shows, our Broadway shows, we were talking about 60 stagehands just for unloading and putting that show on and loading it back up and getting it out. So that, that's a lot of people. Now you said you you were part of a touring show. I was my my first uh, professional job out out of college was working for Sesame Street Live. Oh, okay. And they're they're they were produced and promoted out of uh, Minneapolis at that point in right. time. And so I connected with them, and I went on tour with them for eight years as a tour manager. I was kind of hoping you were in costume in one of those. Oh, no, no, no. no. But um, some summers I would, you would make all my money in nine months. And then I would have the summers off because the tour was off. And some summers I would like, I, I, 
I, my tour ended. I was in Europe. I backpacked Europe, and one other year of my tour ended in Hawaii. And I thought, I'm just going to stay in Hawaii for the rest of the summer. Um, but uh, uh, most years, I was looking for another gig just for the three months of the summer, and that's when I did some concert touring and things like that. Excellent. Awesome. So. So do you uh, do you do you remember that moment, Craig? Uh, I mean, you've you've kind of hinted around a little bit about it, but did you do you can you remember that moment when you stood there in that arena, or you were watching that show, or you were doing security somewhere? Were you that you thought, "Yep, I'm I'm going to make this my entire life." Do you do you remember the show, or do you remember that moment at all? Yeah, I can probably the the most um, memorable moment like that. I mean. Um, when I was, uh, there's a couple of them. Um, um, when I was working in the Sioux Falls Arena, I, I knew I loved this. Right. You know, but I was born and raised in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. At that time, they had one arena. There was really no production in Sioux Falls going on. There was really no tours, you know, coming out of Sioux Falls and traveling the world. Um, so there, there was limitations, and I didn't understand that, that. Um, I could go somewhere else, and then my, my my horizons were broadened. So it wasn't until I was after college that I really thought about it, and then I said that was the moment that I went. I'm going. I'm going to go into. I have background in it. I love it. Um, my business background can help with this. I I have some stuff here. I understand tickets and popcorn and putting on a show, um, and. That was the moment that I, I kind of said, I'm going to take a stab at this industry. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go work for an insurance company. I'm not going to go work for Citibank. And um, then probably one of the other moments was when I got off the road and I was working in uh, an arena. Um, and we had 20,000 people. I can't even remember what show it was because the show didn't matter. It was it was. A, a rock show and there was 20,000 people in that arena and I remember just sitting standing on the floor looking out to the audience right by the stage and looking at the audience and seeing everything and I all I could think of was everybody's having a great time and in my mind I'm like and I'm running this whole dang thing <laughs> and I was like, like I, I was this, you know, yeah. and I was and even though that was not entirely true I had a lot of staff and all sure. that kind of stuff but there was a lot of pride in that moment and I think that was the moment I kind of said you know what uh, working in venues is where I want to be and not necessarily on the road touring with shows working in venues is where I want to be so. I just find that so interesting that you you can stand there and look out at that crowd like the lead singer of the band that's about to come on stage <laughs> can look out at that crowd and be like, it's me. Yeah, you know I, what I mean. I, that, I mean, you know what I mean. It's not not a, not a really an arrogant thing, but you're like, I, I helped make all of this possible and put every smile on that person's face. Right. I mean, you know that the artists often say when you see them on talk shows and stuff, they said, you know what? It's the audience that gives us energy. It's mm -hmm. the audience that does that. You know what? They're not just just placating people. Right. They mean that. That that is something that drives. The whole thing, when you've got a large crowd in front and everybody's enjoying themselves and everybody's having a good time, that's what it's all about. I mean, right. Well, Andy, you it, can speak to that. Yeah, obviously. I was going to say, it's like there, there's like no feeling like that even compares to it, like knowing 
or watching somebody like sing back a lyric to you that you mm-hmm. wrote by yourself in your car, you know, it's like, and it's like putting together details or organizing events, which we've done together as well, Yes, you know, and, and seeing that all come to life and you're just like, Oh my God, I had this idea and like, now it's real, you know, it's That's in front right. of me now, you know, it's, there's nothing that even compares to that. It's wild. Now, it's a little different from him because I've always been in management, you know, right. I'm not the talent. Now, see, the girls are screaming for Andy. <laughs> yeah, they love, head, they love the short little bald guy playing guitar. In my head, I'm thinking, yeah, they're screaming for me, too, but yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not. <laughs> they're not. So do you still do you still have the same passion for this, Craig? When you when you when like Morgan Wallen walks out on that stage in May, are you going to have that? Do you have that same feeling when you look out and see that as you, you did? You know what? It's it's almost always the same when you. Run And it doesn't matter if it's a theater show or it doesn't. When you have a big trade show in, when mm-hmm. you're, you get out of your office and whatever crap you're dealing with in your office, whatever headaches are hitting your desk that day, and you get out of your office and you go look at the crowd and you watch how your, your staff is intermingling with the crowd and how that's all working. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, you get that same feeling just about everything that you do and, and every event that we do. Um, I, I actually love it. I've always loved it. It's been in my blood. And I think for a lot of people, this industry is not necessary for them because mm-hmm. it is working, you know, eight to five during the week and then evenings and weekends. And you know, it's easy to put in 60, 70 hours a week right. um, um, for a lot of staff. But a lot of people just end up doing that and dedicating that much time to it because they, you know what, I love this. This is a lot of fun. And we get a lot of people uh, transferring from other industries because they were tired of sitting at a desk from eight to five. I mean, in our jobs, probably your jobs as well, you're not a clock watcher. Mm-mm. I mean, you, you, you're, you're, you, the day goes, woof, you know? And, and so I think for that, and there's a certain amount of self-satisfaction. No, we're not solving cancer. No, we're not doing any of that, but we're, um, spreading joy and happiness and, and being a part of part of that um, people when they come to the monument they're expecting to have a good time right and for the most part I think everybody does well I think yeah you guys uh, you know once since you've gotten through all this and the summit's up and it's running and there has been some shows in there and people have seen it you guys have done a fantastic job with it I mean it's I think it kind of went even above and beyond what people were expecting yeah yeah I, I think that uh, you know when um, I, I think that's where the trust comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where the trust comes in at the vote and the people who were against it. And some of them may still be against it. And they may have some good reasons to be anti um, spending the money there sure. or wherever and and all that. But a lot of people, I think it was more of a trust thing that, you know, really, what are you going to build here? You know, and as we gave the tours, that's kind of what I saw. I saw people going, oh, wow, this is. This is like a real arena. And yeah, I mean, we needed to build an absolute multi-purpose arena that can do every event very, very well um, and be very flexible in sizing and all that stuff. We put a lot of uh, thought and and work into all that. And we, we got what we were looking for. Excellent. Well, it's it's uh, it's been great talking with you, Craig. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, uh, well, I think a lot of people feel like, well, what you know, how exciting can it be to do a job like that? But you've obviously you have enough stories and you have the background. It is exciting. I mean, and, you know, if somebody was was taking that business degree and coming out of college and be like, man, what am I going to do with this? 
oh, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> what, I, what do you have advice for people like that, Craig? I, I would say that, um, you know, that I, I was not a person that went to college to follow uh, to build a career. I went to college to follow my interests. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that whatever job you do, it, it's got to be something that you find interesting and that that you have um, um, yourself invested into it a little bit. And uh, I I, I really would say follow your interest uh, because, you know, it uh, there's a lot of people that are in a dead end job or a job that they don't like or they they hate. And and this is not a cut because there's some people that do very well at salesmanship or accounting and they love numbers or whatever. Not everybody's cut out to stand in front of the audience and deal with what mm-hmm. I have to deal with. And that's talking to people and and making sure that everything's all right and ha- handling, you know, all their little problems and issues. There's gum on my seat. Well, let's get you a new seat, <laughs> you know, or or whatever. Um, um, so. So I'm dealing with that. Not everybody's for that, you know, um, but I would say follow your interests. Look at your passions and follow your interests. Awesome. Thank you, Craig. This has been uh, this has been a lot of fun. We appreciate you coming in and doing this. Thanks, guys. Yeah. This, is, uh, yeah. th- this is actually better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> awesome. No, it was great. Yeah, we really gonna, appreciate you coming take in Take that as a giant compliment. <laughs> yeah. Right there, Craig. yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of My First Concert. I am Mark Houston. I am the host and producer of the show. It's engineered by Chris Jaquez, and all the audio and visual work is done by our own Russ Haddon. My First Concert is on the Home Slice Audio Network, and if you like what you heard, a great review is always appreciated.